Thank you for being here. I hope y'all are having a great morning. I know I am. But look, we all gotta show up. There's lots of moments that I wish that I had it all to myself. There's so many moments that I'm thinking that I'm falling behind. But I know that's not the case. That's absurd when I'm thinking this life is a race. So much of my heart on my sleeve. I don't really need it no more. But I love my vulnerability. And I don't really have to keep flowing. It happens so natural. And I like to be showing my heart this is love, you know. Yo, I'm talking now, you know. Now you know the jig is up. Now you know I've been sipping on my coffee cup. And I'm filling you up. This is the water that we keep to be pouring. We are vessels, baby. Let's love like it's open. Love like there's no boundaries. And we loving each other. And I don't give a fuck about our history. Cause you're a human, baby. And I love you. Yo. It's not so easy though And we get really frustrated And get all caught up in our shielding And in our masking So let's just start basking In the glow of the people that we really see Can we see past this walls that we put up I'm trying to recognize why this is something that's so mine When I think about it I can't even shout it from a rooftop, baby Cause I'm living in a basement So it's really chilly I got no windows, really But I've been seeing you from afar And so I ask a simple question How does it go? How do you do? Where shall we flow to? On the river of life I'd like to see you standing on the edge of the knife There is a hardness There is something that feels impossible There are some dogs walking on the street Big poodle babies I love to see it I love to be it I like green beans I like to eat them up Y'all know what I fucking mean It's the truth of my life That I'm just tapped in On a regular basis And so I'm facing my truth Every single moment So I gotta show up I'm just using confidence to stand tall To not just knock myself down The negative self-talk, it comes so strong sometimes On a day-to-day basis, my life's changing That's what it does, that's what our lives do That's what our lives do, they just change on a regular basis Life is always changing, isn't it? Theron and I's lives have certainly been changing since we last saw each other, I think, well over five years ago, if I think back. And it's been great to reconnect. Theron reached out to me a while back, just kind of saying, hey, love your stuff, keep it up. Um, And here we are having one of my, my favorite conversations that I've had on the podcast for sure. So... Uh, We were figuring out the tech stuff right at the beginning, um, but we get into it super quick. So I hope you enjoy it. If you know either one of us, 
from back in the day. I think this will be a delightful little uh, update on what we've been up to. Um, but we get into all sorts of topics. And there's obviously, you'll hear in the episode, there's going to be a part two episode coming up after this one. So, hope you enjoy part one with Theron. It's amazing. What's up, what's up, what? What is up, Theron? Good to hear your voice, man. Holy shit. Oh, God, this feels good. (laughs) Oh, man. Yes, it does. Dude, I have been listening to your podcast and shit. And just want to say I love you, man. Oh, like you don't need to hear to say. All right. Well, you got a practice run complimenting me. There, there you go. No. So let me start over. I've been listening to your <laughs> shit and watching your shit. And I just wanted to say I love you, man. I'm, I know you don't need to hear it from me, but I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm so happy to watch you on your path. It is very inspiring to see you going i mean it looks like you're going all out in your art and essentially doing what you feel is right instead of doing what everybody's telling you to do (laughs) or doing what everybody's telling you is right yeah dude yeah and it's like that's it's like so simple and like bro i'm just getting started bro (laughs) everybody forgets that part (laughs) it's like every day every day we're doing something different yeah um yeah but hey so for the listeners um theron and i were roommates back in 2015 2016 our freshman so way back seems like ages ago at this point yeah, I know. I just I was thinking about the earliest I remember dealing with Wes was like our college had a weird uh, intro to like, this is what college life feels like a little bit. And then they threw you in with a random roommate. And for like, I think it was just one night or maybe even two nights yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And Wes and I were just randomly put together and... I was like, I am anxious about finding a stranger to live with all year round. And this dude is dope. <laughs> I think we both asked, like. Oh, I just lost you. Dang it. Um, Looks like it is going to lock, huh? Yeah, that's what that's what it's doing. But I will, honest to God, Dang every it. ten seconds, I will just touch my screen, and that's going to be my method today. <laughs> I'm sorry right, if it man. doesn't work for podcasting, but hey, <laughs> that's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, but yeah, dude, anyhow. dude, the the way that I tell the story, and I don't know, and I'm sure you remember this, is that you and I were sitting next to each other at that Spanish test. Yeah. And I remember I was like trying to flunk because I didn't want to get into the harder oh, class. See, you were and doing you the smart were trying, thing. And you were trying to do really well. <laughs> <laughs> and then it ended up I didn't want to take Spanish. <laughs> like, it was just bad. Now, you probably did the right thing to prepare yourself for like. I mean, I ended up taking 
a semester of French, so it didn't matter anyway. Yeah, I took German, so hey, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I I love to see you fucking working with the fucking earth, man. Like that's inspiring for me, dude. I I feel I don't like using the word blessed to be honest, but man, I can't think of a better word right now. Just when you're working in this field, you one you see how many people out there are very very passionate about this stuff. But then the sad part is is that you're essentially competing with them to do it. Like there's only so much money mm. that is in this field. And everybody's scrambling to get it to do their stuff. And there's just, and every, there's so many people out there that love the world, that love the natural world. Yeah. And so, like, it would be awesome <clears throat> if everybody that was interested, like, I think there's a weird stat that says, like, less than 10% of people who go to school for working in wildlife and nature that they actually end up getting a job. <laughs> Like, if that is your goal, which, I mean, unfortunately, there's not really many ways to make a living loving nature other than doing what I'm currently doing. Yeah. So And so, and so I don't really know what, what you're actually doing, if you could just talk a little yeah, bit about it. Yeah, I, uh, I think it's appropriate to let people know that uh, I currently uh, got a new job, and I would consider it in the category of a dream job. And uh, I, my title is a water bird and waterfowl bird ecology or ecologist. And so you could simplify that a little bit and just call my, like, you can call me a field biologist. Um, I go out in the field and I collect data on birds, on the environment, on how people are treating the environment. And I go back on my computer and I make fancy graphs. So... (laughs) very cool dude waterfowl that's legit i and like uh and again i honestly had a pretty deep discussion with one of my coworkers last night about like she was asking me questions of like why specifically waterfowl and i know that my i do have a wife and she loves waterfowl like with all her heart that's her favorite animal taxa pretty much um, or animal group. And yeah. for me, what it came down was money. Uh, like, I don't think I am passionate, but when you're going into natural resources, like I have, uh, you realize that different types of animals have a amount of money supporting their either research or keeping them healthy. And so you end up realizing that the only animals that have a large backing, at least financially, are hunted animals because there are people out there who um, just that's what they love doing is going and hunting. And that is part of their way of maintaining their culture that was passed down from their family. And then it's also ways for them. I don't know. They just grew up with it. So it's a very large backing of we like to hunt ducks. Here's money to make sure that we can continue to hunt ducks. 
And so, right, right. so it, it's one of the most well-funded uh, branches of environmental research out there is to ensure that the duck populations are okay. But with that caveat or with that information, um, we are, there are and others who are on, like on the title of our research, it is waterfowl related, but we are using that money to gather information on other in, uh, other animals as well while we are out there researching waterfowl. So mm. now branching out into other bird species that share the same area and share the same resources as ducks, like there are a lot of endangered wetland species. And so we are, we are conducting research on them as well while we're getting paid to do waterfowl research. Wow, that's cool. I it like honestly, I was thrown into it and roller coaster ride ever since I started. And so it's it's been a lot of fun. Awesome, man. Yeah. Uh like I can talk about I can talk about waterfowl for days. I can talk about research for days. <clears throat> it doesn't matter to me, man. It's it's all you. Let me know. Cool, man. I, uh, yeah, let's see. I guess I'm definitely interested in like, I think I'm, I'm interested to just hear like how your, how your past five years has been and like, yeah, it's been just stepping into the whole, the whole world and, and finding your and Abby's opportunities and, and, uh, what that yeah. path is, has kind of looked like and, and yeah. been like for you. Of course. Yeah. And I, I think that we can go ahead and dabble into uh, the fact that I, uh, as of late, have been almost fully embracing like a, uh, I guess, my own version of a spiritual path just because uh, by having a dream very consistently over a long period of time, I've been running, and I know that a lot of people run into this, this too, but just instances of synchronicity and coincidences and recognizing when situations are out of your control, but like recognizing when they turn out for the good and like just, yeah, you get to see all these little patterns that pop up all the time and you're like, dude, this is meant to be like, I don't know how else to say it, but you just know it in your gut. <laughs> but um, anyhow, but starting out like right after undergrad, I was told that if I wanted to get a job in the natural resource world, I needed a master's degree. And so um, that was pretty early on. That was put on my radar pretty early on. And so um, I was a little nervous about it, going back to school, um, signing my life away again for a second time. <laughs> um, but it was pretty neat because uh, all, the, all the cards just kind of fell into place. Abby is way more academic than I am, and she is a lot smarter than I am. And so she ended up landing a master's position before me. And I followed her around for a few years while she was getting her master's. And then um, an opportunity opened up for me to get my master's as well. 
And so we spent time in Illinois for quite a while. She was studying uh, wetland quality. And so she was out in the wetlands mapping where the water was. And I don't know uh, how many people out there have experience in wetlands, but it, I think it is one of the most difficult biomes to research out there because you're dealing with the worst of the worst of mother nature as far as hot muggy sticky buggy and like you're, wa <laughs> you're you're walking through like knee deep muck and you're just like dude this is intense and so <laughs> and so she had to do that for like three years almost like eight months of the year no matter how cold no matter how hot she was out there doing her shit and she did an amazing job. And so I helped her out as much as I could. Um, and then I ended up getting a master's position studying what are called marsh birds. And we also call them secretive marsh birds because they just hang out in cattails and super dense vegetation. And all of the historical ways of monitoring bird populations is stepping outside your car and counting birds. And these birds are hanging out in super dense cattails and shit. And so you can't see them. You have no idea mm. how many are in there. And so. Oh, lost you again. Yeah. Yeah, there um, we go. With that. Re okay. Am I back though? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. I, I, I noticed that it closed out and I quickly came back. So hopefully you didn't miss out too much. No, no but my project was studying. <laughs> I was studying uh, these secretive marsh birds. And so it was quite fun in order to get a, any indication of their presence or population levels. We took like these speakers out into the wetland and we play their call to them. And they're like, Oh, one of my kind is out there. Let me go talk to them. And then they talk like they talk back to you. And so you can't see them, but you hear them. So you're like, okay, they're here. That's great. And so yeah. it was kind of cool going down these lists of these super rare birds and being like, well, they're not here today or they are here today. And so I got my degree essentially conducting that research. And then after that, um, we thought or we were told that you needed a full-time job and any job that you could grab was good enough. And so we were told also that since it's so competitive in our field, that it was going to be a difficult time to have both of us. Abby is in the same field as me and like we're married. And so we want to stay in the same area together. And so finding right. two jobs in the same field at the same time was going to be super difficult. And so we latched on to a job opportunity in North Dakota. And uh, yeah, we went up to North Dakota, stayed there for a year. Abby ended up getting a desk job and in our field. So she was just behind the computer analyzing stuff uh, mm -hmm. for the fish and wildlife. And she did not like it one bit. And so that sent her down a path of, okay, I am unhappy where I am now. That means that I have to figure out alternatives. And she ended up finding a job in Alaska 
and she worked up in the middle of nowhere for like five to six months and it was wow. she she came back and it she said it was like one of the most uh crucial uh experiences of her life just she got to go in the tundra of Alaska where people haven't walked for probably like thousands of years. Like it's just no man's land up there. It's 100% pristine nature. Mm -hmm. And she was ending up doing research on an endangered goose species. Uh, And so she got to handle this endangered species and monitor how well they're reproducing. And, uh, yeah. And she came back and was like, I want to do this for the rest of my life, pretty much. And so she signed up and qualified to get her PhD in the same stuff. And so she's getting her PhD in Tennessee. And I, the way that I explain it to other people is that I know that Abby is more passionate about her career than I am. And so whenever Abby needs to go somewhere to, uh, improve her standing in her career, we go. Uh, and so she went to Alaska. I hung out in North Dakota. And then when she came back from Alaska, she found a position in Tennessee. And so we went to Tennessee. Um, and then my impression was that I had my master's degree. And so it was going to be simple for me to find a job in my field uh, <laughs> because, that, because that was what I was told. And as soon as I got to Tennessee, I went through a time of unemployment and that hit me really, really hard. And I know, I know Wes, you mentioned it a little bit and it kind of shows in that, uh, that Spanish test of how I've treated my entire life as go, 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 always give your 100% because of that's how you were, t- that's how I was taught. I mean, yeah, it. right. It makes sense. And so as soon as I was told, or like, as soon as I realized that I was unemployed and I was just getting asked every day by new people that I was meeting, because I was meeting a lot of people through Abby's connections with her being a PhD. They're like, of course, everybody asks a stranger as soon as you walk up to them, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And I, I like quickly realized how ridiculous that is Yeah, that to like normalize and to quantify somebody's being by what do you do to survive? <laughs> what do you do for an income in order to do what you want? It's like, wouldn't it be much better to be like, Hey man, how are you? <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you do. I don't know. So like, instead I had to admit like, oh no, I am unemployed, which people often interpret as you do nothing, which is not true at all. Right. So, yeah. So I had to, I muscled through that and I ended up picking up a job through the Tennessee's version of department of natural resources. Um, And I filled a position that was usually filled by high schoolers or out of uh, high school graduates. And so it it was very, uh, it was a huge learning experience for me. But at the same time, I quickly knew it was not what I wanted to be doing. And so 
I, I again, just feel blessed that, uh, again, there comes that word again, that <laughs> I, I had the, I had that opportunity to realize and like, I was listening to that moment of being like, this is not what I want to be doing. And so I changed, I changed how I was actively going through my day and was trying to look into the future of what I could see myself doing and to uh, have an eye out for when these opportunities open up. So that way I could jump on them and I would be ready for them. But if I didn't have that bad experience, or at least that experience that let me know that this is not what you like, this is not where you want to be, I wouldn't have been thrown into looking for those opportunities elsewhere. So it's kind of like taking lessons from your everyday moments uh, is kind of a good way that I wrapped my head around what was going on and how to plan for the future is that, I don't know, like you can, I, I just tried to learn from those bad experiences the best I could. And um, I think they, de they were most definitely crucial for where I am now. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I know, cool. I know that you've been on a roller coaster of, of stuff. <laughs> and yeah, for sure. I, and I know that you've talked about different aspects of your timeline and how uh, they've influenced you deciding to pursue uh, your passions. And I don't know if you wanted to, like, if there's anything that's coming to mind of like a certain day where you're just like, I am going to jump, I'm going to just leap, and I'm going to see where I land. Um, and <laughs> like, I, I feel like you've been making those decisions over the past few years, quite frequently. And I feel like you and I and folks like us are becoming like professional jumpers where it's like you're always told look before you leap and then you're like why <laughs> it's like just leap and you will end up somewhere it's not gonna i mean i feel fortunate enough that i have a safety net and it sounds like you have a safety net um and we are privileged to have those but again it's like i don't want to use my safety net I don't, I yeah. don't want to go live with my parents. I love them, but I don't want to live with them. Right. But if, if push came to shove and I was at the end of my rope and I was going to, uh, if I was in trouble, they would be there for me. And it feels good to know that. But I also recognize that there are folks who don't have that type of safety net that allows them to make those rash decisions of, I'm going to go for it 100%. And we are going to see where it takes me. And I'm going to give up that illusion of control. And I'm going to just roll with the punches. And I've been enjoying it. To be honest, like, yeah, I get smacked every once in a while. Mm -hmm. But some of the punches are really, really fun. <laughs> yeah, dude. And it's, it's definitely a skill. Taking the leap is something we continue to learn how to how to maybe not do better but mm -hmm. stop the limiting beliefs and you know get better at pushing past all of the 
you know, the thoughts and the expectations of others and like the playing it small, the what do you do? Like, you know, it's like, it's interesting if we were to reframe that question as like, what's your survival tactic? And it's just like, <laughs> hey, well, well, that's not who I am. Exactly. Right? I don't want to see you when I'm surviving. I want to present you with a flower, not a, like I want to present something that I can produce, something that shows my creativity, not, oh, yeah, I went to work today. I paid off my car. I am paying all my bills. So that means that everything's A-OK, <laughs> right? Right. right. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, man. And I think, I mean, that's, I'm sure that's an interesting experience. Um, me and, and also my, my younger sister, Madeline, mm -hmm. ever since she graduated as well, we've both kind of been going through that thing of kind of being like, oh, okay, we're looking for opportunities. And lots of the opportunities that we're finding and, and pulling the trigger on mm -hmm. are ones where when we kind of show it, to our community there's like yeah. the perception of like all right wes and madeline are underemployed <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and like that's so oh, it's like a there's like some shame involved uh, in that, yes yes you know? because we were taught to take pride in what we did to earn money mm -hmm. like i i understand that the like my parents told me like we were in the bandwagon, <clears throat> me to be on the bandwagon of if you work and do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And I think that that is false. I feel like I love the work that I'm doing now, but it's still work. I still have to dedicate at least eight hours of my day on the weekdays to do this even if I want to go do something else, like just because I love it doesn't mean that it takes less work to go. I don't know. I, I have talked to people who say that they have a very strong connection with their work and they don't feel like it is work, but I don't know. I feel like if you have a boss and if you're getting paid, it is work. You are being told what to do, when to do it. And that is work. But I mean, if you're your own boss, I haven't had that experience. So I didn't know if it was any different. If you have a different perspective on how, like if you have a different relationship with your work because you're self-employed or because you don't have a boss breathing down your neck. But yeah, yeah I mean, basically since like, the pandemic started, I've basically just been working for DoorDash. Yeah. And it's been an incredibly interesting experience because it's the first time in my life where I'm not limited in, I'm not, there's no minimum or maximum or required hours mm -hmm. that I'd be working. Right. None. Yeah. That's fucking hard for me a little bit. Yeah. It gives you because it's like, almost like too much flexibility. Like I what know you were saying you're like, I still got to show up eight hours a day. And I'm in here sitting to myself be like, damn, I haven't worked eight hours in a minute. <laughs> uh, 
And so, like, it's it's been a great experience. So, you know, listeners know I I, I was on a road trip for 10 months and I realized how much, you know, starting that process and, and I'll talk a little bit about kind of my epiphany moment that led to me like pulling that trigger. Um, but <clears throat> it was me, you know, having had quarantine back with my mom. I was, I was living, you know, I hadn't lived in Iowa in a right. long time. <laughs> and I was just seeing how much, I mean, still to this day, like my family has a hard time wrapping their minds around my choices Mm -hmm. and like not in any like you're making bad choices type of way but it's like they just can't connect with it they don't they don't they can't relate to your decisions and so it is interesting because it feels really cool to have this autonomy I, i you know i'm not ever missing a shift i don't have to answer to Mm -hmm. a boss and yet Mm. it's like putting me super in tune with you know kind of the type of energy that i struggled with like in school like you know doing stuff before the deadline type shit like that was always hard for me to to put you know put a couple hours of effort before i was required to like that Mm -hmm. was always so hard for me And, you know, a lifetime of like, just obeying the structure of where you are, like, right. Now it feels like even harder, because it's like, there was so much of, of, like, self judgment, and like, feeling like I'm a bad student. And I, you know, I, I had a feelings and you know being angry at myself and and all this stuff yeah and so this is kind of back to a similar energy maybe for kind of college where it's like i kind of you know i'm showing up to the tests yep studying the night before Uh which is basically you know, I'm working all day the day before my bills are due. Yeah. And like, that's, that's, that's a pattern that you're finding yourself in. Yes, man. Yeah. And, and it's like, I I would say, I would say lean into it. I think that that means that you, I don't want to use the word thrive because it sounds like you have had negative experiences with, that at least in a classroom setting. Um, but I mean, like I've gained a lot of information of just watching how my body naturally reacts to stress, to stressors. Like mm. do, do I, is my knee jerk reaction to procrastinate is my knee jerk reaction to get on the horse and get stuff done. Or like f- for me, my default is working my ass off until I collapse. Like if I didn't slow myself down, I would tear myself apart by getting like 
that's what I find in our field is that people overwork themselves because that's kind of the standard. And it isn't until recently mm. that I feel that leadership in these positions acknowledge that. They're like, dude, this is, this is just duck research. Like, you do not need to kill yourself <laughs> to conduct duck research. Like, calm down. Like, it is going to be okay. Like, just because you, quote, quote, fail today does not mean that you need to hurt yourself to make it right. Like, we will figure better ways to do this it is okay so having that voice is really nice but like I think that I've gained a whole bunch of information from just watching myself and being like dude mm -hmm. do you really want your default to be working over eight hours a day 12 hours a day like I am physically capable but do you want a life like that? And if you don't, then you need to actively change how you respond to those stressors. And so, like, for me, yeah. I, I think that's where I've heavily leaned on meditation and yoga because it is a mind trip of I, I'm going to go do yoga today. But it's a practice of shutting your body and your like calming your body and calming your mind. I don't want to say shut it off because that's impossible, but, uh, <laughs> but is, I think like quieting the chatter, like yes. I think about, about the chatter that we hear from ourselves. Yes. And, and like, yeah, I mean, getting into, you know, I've, I've really taken in so many concepts from buddhism oh yeah dude i think out of all of the out of all of the eastern religions like buddhism is one that i've connected with strongly i know that ramdas talks about all sorts of other religions and he calls himself a jewish hindi buddhist muslim christian or and like he goes through the list of all these different religions that he has used as stepping stones to get to where he was or where he is now like Whether, all of yeah, this but... stuff is like how are we internalizing conceptualizing our experience through sharing in these human stories that yes. are the religions of the world you know yes like i i love your understanding of stories and like i know that when i listened to you call money a story i understood what you were talking about when it's just it's just a concept it's a human made concept if the human world like if the human race was wiped off of this earth money would not have any value <laughs> it does not exist outside of the human world well, so here's the thing, right? It's, it's wild to me. Like, what gives money its value? It's the story. Yeah. And the fact that we all were given the premise the moment we awoke here. Mm -hmm. And we just take it. What, what's the phrase? Like, yeah. take it as it is. We just accept yes. what we're given. We accept right? the story. Story and, and all. And so because the story is part of the framework that we're given when we're also just seeing reality, mm -hmm. we automatically perceive the reality we see to 
be the story we hear too. Right. Right. Yep. Like, because they're shown to us at the same time. Like, right. Like what is my life about now so much? It's about unpacking mm-hmm. so much of the stuff that I logged away as like the foundations and the brick, the, you know, the scaffolding of the world we live in. Yep. And like then starting to see like, okay, these stories didn't just happen. Yeah. So many of them were injected right into the masses because somebody wanted to profit. Right. And it's not, it's not like somebody flips a switch and it's going to be that way forever. Like these are actions that have been actively acted on for a millennia. Like this, the societal structures that we have now have been created and main and maintained. Like, it's not like somebody just created it and left it. It is actively being maintained to be the status quo. But I liked, uh, I know that you've read Ishmael, the book. Oh yeah. Um, and so Abby was the one while she was in Alaska, she told me, she's like, dude, I read this book and I, I personally don't really read, uh, books recreationally because, uh, I have to do so much reading for work, but, (laughs) but dude, I could not put Ishmael down. I couldn't do it. It it was so good. It does such a good job at differentiating what is essentially the natural world versus the constructed human culture that lost you oh yo constructed I'm... lost you bro Sorry, i, I, know, I figured out i figured out that <laughs> once i get really into a conversation or like a point and start talking about it, I don't look at my phone, and then it shuts off. Right. So, so you guys get to hear my intense thoughts, and then it gets cut in half, and then, you know, it's great. <laughs> Dude, I'm so sorry that that's doing that to you, man. That's annoying. It's honestly, <clears throat> um, and uh, it's acting weird. It, I'd, like, this app is draining the uh, battery so much. So if my audio changed just now, it's because I switched to... Uh, speaker if it's working or not yeah yeah i think it's fine okay you think it's fine all right yeah yeah but ishmael is essentially talking or separating the uh differences between the natural world and the human construct of our different emerging human cultures and so that's where i feel probably the most fortunate with working in the natural world is that I'm exposed to a world that is uh, outside of, or at least we're often told to look at it from a perspective excluding human influence, which Mm -hmm. I guess on the surface is stupid because I mean, right. (laughs) World we are impacting the globe so much that we are like, there is essentially no such thing as untouched earth on this planet. We have influenced yeah. everything. So, but going back to Ishmael and stuff, and like th- it was so crazy. I think in that book, it just talks about how, like, let's say for those who believe in reincarnation, um, the majority of all human souls that have ever existed on this planet 
existed in a nomadic hunter-gatherer situation. I know that the population of the earth right now is so much larger than during those times, but human beings have been on this planet for so long that I believe that the amount of human souls that were on this planet during that time, during the hunter-gatherer time, is probably where the bulk of the human existence is is yeah i agree i strongly believe that that is where human beings are in their natural setting is either in a hunter-gatherer community or in a small agricultural community as soon as agriculture hit it spread like like a like a plague like the idea of i can I can work the earth. I can manipulate the earth to benefit myself. And then that opens the door to, I put this amount of work in. So that way I deserve this food. You don't have any food. So that must mean you didn't put any work in. So you do not deserve food. I feel like that was probably one of the first divisions in our culture of, I, I am better than you because I have more food than you. Just it's like, so interesting. Off. Yeah. Yeah. And totally. No. I mean, that's the start really. Right. It's like the minute uh, somebody else kind of was the gatekeeper in that way. Yes. Everything changed. Yes. Um, and like, I think in Ishmael, they talk about it, but it, that book has, inspired me to look into um uh, like i guess look at the world through those lenses of what was life like back when we didn't have agriculture and in ishmael they talk about how oh no and then i also get the books ishmael and sapiens mixed up i know that you said that you haven't gotten to pick it up yet but i would strongly recommend it's on my it's on my shelf right here i actually just borrowed chad's copy Oh, it is good. Um, So I I have yet to crack it open, but... Yeah, Ishmael talks about concepts of how humans evolved throughout time, um, but Sapiens has a more uh, kind of like archaeological approach or like matter of fact, this is the evidence that we have available. This is probably what human life was like back in the day. And like going on and like, I wanted to come back to our discussion about eight hour workdays versus non eight hour workdays. There's a lot of evidence that suggests that it was more than possible for communities, small communities of hunter gatherers to collect all their food needs for their community in less than four hours. Yeah. And so their lifestyle was wake up, put in four hours of foraging, whether it was four hours of hunting or four hours of gathering food and goods. And then the rest of your day was, I don't want to call it leisure because it's hard to imagine what leisure was back in the day. But we need to call it leisure, man. Yes. Yes. Because, because that's human. Yeah. And we all have woken up and been ingrained with this capitalistic mindset. Yeah. Right. It's like, work ethic my you know i i use this example i've probably said it on the podcast before but you know seeing every other obituary 
talking about how their father was such a hard worker. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I know what you mean because all that really means is that my father cared for his family. But yeah. in the culture, caring for your family means leaving your family to make money. Exactly. Yes. It's like I, my, I put my family first. So in order to put my family first, I am never going to see them. <laughs> it's like really sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I know that like I know that's how that's how I was brought up, too, is that like my dad, he was responsible for five kids and they like he didn't have a based on my experience. He didn't have a super lucrative job. It was if you need more money, you need to put in more hours. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. like growing up, I was I was a teenager and I was mad at my dad because he was mad at because he was mad all the time, or it felt like it. Mm -hmm. and, and in hindsight, I'm like, oh, yeah, I understand why you lost your temper. Like, you didn't have any sleep, and you were working these crazy shifts that, like, one day you would work, like, from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., and then the next day you could work, like, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., like, just completely messing wow. in order to provide for us. And then I, in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, of course he was angry. Of course he was cranky. So, it, yeah. But he was trying, he was doing what he, how he was trained to provide for us. He was doing what he could. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, yeah, I've like been looking so much recently at aspects of my childhood and the way I that my parents you know, interacted with the home and, and how, I want, how we were raised. But I did want to interject that I yeah. have a lot of synchronicities that like your and my upbringing sounded very, very similar. My dad was in the Navy. My dad was very aggressive. He was, mm -hmm. and I was, when you were saying that on, like when you were telling your story, cause you're laying your whole life out there on recording. And it is awesome because it allows your audience to relate to different bits of your story. And it's amazing, but I wanted you to continue talking about. Thanks, your... man. Yeah. I think, uh, um, yeah, it's just interesting. Like, especially getting into like the cultural, um, what my like perception or, just like the way that the military was was such a, a unseen you know reason for the way that my dad was the way he was right as my father right yeah and, and you know and it's so that's like a context that i ha never had before like i never even thought about it much mm -hmm. and so i think like i can now see that there is so, you know, I haven't, I'm not super tight with my dad, so I don't know all of this, but there's just like, I could see that there was just like him trying to find something that he was in control of. Yes. You know, like you're saying, like the work, the showing up for the family, all of this, and then seeing the way that that's a lot of weight on him, right? And I think especially for like, 
fathers and masculine men in society there's yeah. just like uh you can't show you can't tell your wife that it that you're tired right you, you know simple stuff about acknowledging the beautiful vulnerable parts of yourself can just be bypassed as i'm not going to show this this is not what a man does this is not what i witnessed and saw in the military this is not how i'm supposed to be yes it's like if i'm not what like if i do not fit the mold then i have failed or i am different and that is bad yeah that that entire mentality of if you are not molded into oh there you go lost ya yep just saying that the mentality of if you don't fit into the mold it's because you are broken or you're uh you're not normal or i'm going to break you to make you fit into my mold yeah 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 i mean it and so, dang yeah. break you like I, it's interesting for me to frame potentially like my dad as having been broken to fit yes. the mold you know yeah like i mean i know that there are instances that people want the military to show them how to be us like i don't want to say like a super soldier but like I, they, it's romanticized so much of being like, I'm going to serve my country. I am going to turn into this respectable United States citizen because I am doing this. And it's like, but you're giving up everything associated with yourself. If there is one purpose in life, it is to be yourself. I feel like that's, that's as close. Like, Dude, yeah. So it's like you are actively going against everything that your body was designed to do by becoming somebody that you're not. Yeah, and that's like the and I mean that's the premise of like of it, the military I, almost. Yeah. Like take we need to take away these individuals because we have an agenda that will not be as efficiently served if all of the people here still think as themselves. Yeah. Yeah. No. And then going back into like, I've been into, well, actually uh, I call myself a hobbyist mycologist. And so I'm growing Ooh, cool. a lot of my own gourmet mushrooms right now. And, uh, and growing and growing your own uh, hallucinogenic mushrooms is a federal offense. So I'm not doing that right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, anyhow, like going into mycology and the study of mushrooms and stuff like that, you get exposed to the talking about the psychedelic wave through the sixties and seventies and how the government was legitimately saying that if you let your kids take psychedelic drugs, they will not want to work for you. And that was one of the main <laughs> reasons why they were so aggressively against psychedelics is that it opens your eyes to a different perspective and realize 
how silly the mandatory structure of going to work every day is. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, like you go to work as a means to an end, but we were told that it was the only way to achieve our dreams was to get a job. Like there are, there are other paths out there and you're on it, man. (laughs) Yeah, dude, it's been a real, it's been really hard to like, break down my own limiting beliefs about what's possible for my life Mm -hmm. like it feels risky irresponsible like but it's like when I even saying those words I like I'm starting to grin because I'm like I know that's not true (laughs) exactly it's just the words that we've been taught to associate with it it's like why, why do we use risky when it could be, like, adventurous? Like, they're the mm. same words. They just have different connotations. And, I mean, exactly, like, back to Ishmael, like, part of what mother culture whispers in our ears is, like, like the most important, like, thing to have is security. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so like the illusion of security. Yeah, not even, yeah, the illusion of security. Yeah. And that's what we are told. That is what we are sold day in and day out that if you work, you will be secure. And depending on your definite secure, that kind of, uh, kind of predicts where, what type of job you're going to end up in. So if your definition of secure is buying a fucking huge house that's a waste of space and resources, then you're going to need a top-end, high-paying job to provide that security for you. But Mm -hmm. if your definition of security is, I need to have food on my table seven days a week, your job is going to look completely different because that is your definition of security. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely find that my definition is drastically ever-changing right now. Yeah. And it is pushing, pushing up against my parents' definition. Yes. Yep. And it's fucking hard for them. And I'm in this place of just like reminding myself like it's not my responsibility to make them comfortable correct correct what what they do with the information that you are providing them is their choice or like it is up to them to decide how they react to the information that you're giving them they all like parents do have an influence on what the kids do But at the same time, like you're raising a child so that way they can live their own life. So when you see your child living their own life, it's hard to dream the same dreams because you're completely different people. So it's like, no shit, my dream is going to be different than the dream that you made up for me. (laughs) And I think there's a there's a potential kind of. Like you know, especially like my, you know, my dad working, he's like, well, I didn't sacrifice my time so that you could go fuck around on the internet. Like my dad wouldn't say that, but like that energy of being like, 
you're wasting your potential or like, you know, why don't you utilize that degree or otherwise, why did we pay for that? And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Because your ass convinced me that's what I needed to do. So like, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. dude. And it's like, there's this, there was this cold that it was their responsibility to point you in a direction towards getting your undergraduate degree. And then as soon as they fulfilled that responsibility, everything was going to be a okay. <laughs> everything, all their dreams were going to be fulfilled. <laughs> and it's like, no, I am a free individual. And like, my life is my life. Like, there's no way that parents need like, I thought that was an understanding that parents when raising their children, and of course, I'm speaking from no experience of raising children, <laughs> is that like you are preparing your child to be able to be self-sustaining. Like, yes, of course, you want your child to be well-fed. Of course, you want your child to be safe. But you can't force them down a path. They'll, kids will fight you the entire way. If anything, if I've learned anything from hearing different people's experiences with their family, it's that like there's always some sort of rebellious, like I'm listening to what you're asking me to do, but I understand that I have the freedom to decide what to do. And like, I feel like everybody has some sort of experience that kind of highlights that of whether it's completely actively going in completely the different direction as your parents wanted you to, or it's just slightly different or something. There's always going to be some layer because there's no way you're going to 100% match what your parents have laid out for you or wanted you to do, I guess. I think a lot of people just take the script and run with it at, as as it's handed to them right and maybe do some improv but for the majority it is a script it's go to school get a job get a house get a car or it doesn't even have to be in that order but is it there there is a book there is a script out there that have been used for thousands of years but not even bro what's that not even thousands of years. Right, right. It is so much younger than that. Well, I mean, I, I'm going back, like, back to, like, the agriculture stuff and be, like, so. Ah, true, true. Like, I, I'm going, that's where I'm drawing the line is, at, like, the development of agriculture is where there's a hard line in the sand of when we went from working with nature, being a part of nature, to manipulating nature for our benefit and but yes i think that our culture like the united states has only been around for what like was it 100 years 200 years like people haven't documented finds like christopher columbus was the first documented white man to see the united states but doesn't mean there wasn't culture already here but dude there was culture richer than our understanding of culture yeah as white people <laughs> yes yes and we you are now change that and our voice is being heard because we are also white people 
Oh, dude, I, I run into that issue a lot in my field. So we, we have a saying that our field, and I'm and I know that other fields are the same, that it's just pale, male, and stale. So you're an old <laughs> white man in our field. Like, that's what is dominating our field right now. Mm-hmm. And so it feels so weird to be on the other, I don't want to call them teams, but it's like, no, we have generated teams. The pale, male, and stale folk have blocked themselves in the tiny corner of defending what they think is right. But then do you know how small of a window pale, male, and stale is? You are literally fighting against everybody else. <laughs> like, There's no way that you can sustain yourself. So you are going to get taken over by people who embrace other cultures, other ideas, other backgrounds, and other interests. And understand that having different opinions at the table is a good thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it does it does feel weird being, like I said, pale, male, and stale. I'm two-thirds of the way there, and I'm working on my third one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But either way, not like uh, just, yeah. I mean, going back and looking at, oh, another book on top of Sapiens is a book called Origins. It's how the physical earth, so all of the physical resources that were available shaped the cultures that are here today. Mm. And so like little things like how large iron deposits are in China. And so they've had access to large iron, uh, vats and supplies for a long time and then like in europe they essentially skipped the bronze age because they didn't have the copper and tin required for it and so they skipped from the copper age to the iron age and just how all these different cultures were competing with each other based on the structure of the earth and how Mm -hmm. much was available to them at the time and so it's to me, it breaks down that illusion of control and that illusion of choice where it's like we are, I don't, I don't want to call it a predetermined path, but like you see it in nature all the time that a lot of organisms' worlds are so small, they are so impacted by the environment around them. So it's it's like they don't even have a choice with the decisions they have to make because they're just responding to the environment that is given to them. Right. And I, I relate to that a lot. And I see that a lot when I'm trying to understand the hardships that people uh, go through and the decisions that they are forced to make. It's not because they're making bad decisions. It's because there's really not very many other options out there. They are just acting on the environment that they're exposed to or that they're in. And so like people think that like the military tells you that you have so much control over your environment. And if you're not getting what you want, it's because you're not working hard enough. It's like literally people are born randomly across the globe. And just because they're born in the United States, they have, a larger chance of having a more luxurious life and they have all these resources that are available and it's just a random act of being born you know what luxury doesn't mean 
What's that? Luxury doesn't mean happy. Correct. I agree. I agree completely. Like, and, and that is that is so at the core. It's like unhappy people who follow the script feel like I have to make everyone else follow the script. Otherwise, I will be open to understanding that I might have made a mistake. Yes. And I, we don't want to admit that. Oh, man. I feel that way a lot with ch- uh, having children. And I, I do have a young, uh, a young nephew. And my sister is doing an awesome job as a parent. And I almost want to exclude them from this scenario because it wasn't until recently that obviously these past two years, being able to watch how awesome it is to watch him grow and seeing the fruits of all that hard labor of taking care of this kid. But back maybe a few years ago, I would meet miserable parents and they'd be like, so when are you going to have children? It's like, Dude, you just spent two hours venting to me about how awful children are. Mm-hmm. Why, why are you trying to get me to join you in your misery? Misery loves company. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, oh, I'm miserable. And so if I drag other people down this path, they're going to be miserable, too. And at least I can compete with them for happiness if they're on the same level or on the same playing field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like so many aspects of of modern life that are like that. It's like, we're, we're simultaneously like bragging about our busyness and complaining about it. And yet we want other people to do the same because it's like, we want to be like, we're both tired. Look at us. Oh, dude. That makes us feel better, dude. I run into that a lot. And it's it comes down to as simple as like things like weather. Like yes. you, go into, you go into a gas station and the cashier's like, God damn, it's so hot outside, isn't it? It's like it's summertime. It's it's hot. Yes. Like why like why do you have to say it with such negativity, I guess? Like dragging me down man i'm enjoying the heat it is summertime i'm getting out i'm getting sweaty like this is what it's all about like i agree bro (laughs) like it's a constant fucking topic for everyone (laughs) i feel like especially in the midwest like having spent a lot of years outside of the midwest i'm like realizing how it's like you know, like 60% of what everyone talks about every day. I do understand that weather is something that everybody experiences. So that true that you can talk to a stranger about it because you know that they've experienced weather. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, like this, this is interesting. I mean, I'm sure part of it was obviously because I was living in Thailand, but Thailand is hot and humid every fucking day. Yeah. We'd, I never talked about the weather. And nobody talks about it. <laughs> and no one's complaining. I think the complaining is the issue that I have. It's like, dude, I don't, I don't have control over the weather. Some people think the government have control over the weather. I don't. Like, I don't have control over it. So it's like, you best just smile. That's, so Abby and I, like you said, like going to Thailand, 
Abby and I, I mean, Tennessee is not anything close to like Thailand, but it is also hot. And if there's anything that Tennessee taught me was how to be comfortable in my own sweat. Like it's mm. just, there's, it's unavoidable. You're going to go inside, you're going to sweat. You're going to go outside, you're going to sweat. Whereas you come to the Midwest, like people are like, my shirt is getting a little sticky. It's like, dude, that's your body trying to cool down. Like, that's normal. Like, what do you want me to do? Right. Like, you're complaining about your body keeping you cool. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I'm going to have to go shower again. It's like this, this like fighting nature, even, even inside our own bodies. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, like, we're, we're taught always that like our body is gross it's not supposed to be oozing uh <laughs> feelings are gross you're not supposed to be feeling feelings <laughs> um these feelings stop i don't like them so are you guys still in tennessee no so right now uh i moved to illinois so i'm in central illinois now um but abby is still in tennessee so we're gonna do the distance thing um and the way that i explain it is that abby was in uh, i already talked about it but she was in alaska in the middle of nowhere for like five to six months yeah so she only had a satellite phone that could send <clears throat> calls i could not call the satellite phone and so like i only heard from her via phone maybe like three times a week when she was in alaska wow and then but like this distance thing has been going, I mean, it's only been a week, but it feels a lot better just because like I can text her all day. I can call her whenever I want. I can FaceTime. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it makes that distance a lot, a lot easier. Um, and so like, I don't know, like Abby and I love each other's company. And if we were given the freedom to choose whatever we would do for a day, it usually ended up just being hanging out with each other on the couch watching strange videos or playing video games together or something. So like that is our comfort zone. And of course we would like that to be our every day, but then we also recognize that like we, we do have interests outside of sitting on the couch. And so we, in order to pursue them, we have to kind of, I, I, I don't like saying the word make sacrifices, but and there's a lot of words that I don't like saying apparently in this podcast. And I didn't realize how many <laughs> <laughs> over and over again. Uh, but it, cause it's not a sacrifice. Like both of us are perfectly okay with this step. Like this is normal to us. It's normal yeah. for people in our field. Um, we trust each other. That's a huge thing. Totally. Uh, I, I feel genuine love. So that's a huge thing. <laughs> yeah. So I feel very lucky that like we are able to make these uh, kind of non-traditional choices in life because we are so comfortable together and have that support for each other. Um, I think is very, very key. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But I know I just, I just, I feel so lucky. I love you, Abby. I don't know if you'll ever listen to this. But... <laughs> oh, man, she's my favorite. <laughs> Hell yeah. 
Well, how about you with your uh, <clears throat> love interest? Have you? Uh, are you? Are you dabbling? Are you? Uh, are you pick? Are you being picky or what? What's going on? I got a lot of love in my life, man. That's good. Good to hear. And yeah. I did like. I think you touched on the discussion that uh, the English language only has one word for love, whereas like other cultures have like fifty. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, it's like frustrating. I, yeah, I've been, I found some cool people to, to share love with recently. So, and that, and that's like, it's, it's really dope. It's kind of going hand in hand with, with also supporting each other in our art. Yeah. And I wish that other people could understand that more easily like it's like oh are you dating anybody do you have one person it's like dude Mm -hmm. my my life is so much more filled with love because i am allowing myself to share it with so many other people yeah (laughs) i'm not restricting myself to one person (laughs) yeah dude that really that that's helped me so much and it's kind of taken away some of like the I don't know maybe not pressure but it's just I think maybe pressure like it's it's very like who's locking you down and there's kind of that you know the cultural like yeah it's a did you find your better half type type of mentality yeah, which which I get is super common, and it's it's the cultural uh, example of love that we see every you know day of our lives, pretty much. Yeah. Um. But yeah, man, like a lot of really cool people basically came and found me because yeah. I, mean, I was like showing my vulnerability to yeah. the world. Like, no, I think. That that's all it takes. I mean, not all it takes, because that is a big fucking deal, dude. Like, I think that you are like, I think that the Internet is so vast that it's it's like uh, it's like uh, I don't want to get too uh, too wooey wooey, but it's just like the universe. Like, it's mostly dark space, just mostly (laughs) black. Yeah, you're drawn to people who are putting their true self out there regardless of how black it is outside and how dark it is and so people are drawn to that light and that energy of just being genuine like i don't i don't i it just blows my mind how difficult it is to find genuine folks or at least folks who are willing to uh show you their genuine self, I guess, in a regular conversation. It's just like, I'm like, you just, as a conversationalist, you're, you're digging, digging past all of that small talk and mm-hmm. trying to tease out and kind of play that identity game of like, okay, when are we going to get to your true self now? But I think that you are doing a great job of consistently putting out yourself and, how yeah it it must feel very vulnerable but i would i'd be willing to bet that it's been rewarding don't you think 
Or do you think that? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. I want to make yes. that assumption, but I mean, it looks like it's been rewarding and it drew me in for sure. So it's worked for me. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, that's cool for me to hear. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I talk about it too. It kind of just feels like, like, why am I just shouting into the internet? Like, who cares? You know, but, but then I, if I stop and I'm like, who the fuck's voice is that? (laughs) Yeah. Like I obviously connected to you because I have already been exposed to a version of you from way back when. Yeah. Like if something is the most consistent thing in nature is that everything is changing, not everything Mm -hmm. eventually changes. Everything is current. Is changing. Yeah. It's not, it's not like, oh, it's going to be like today it's this and tomorrow it's going to be this. But five years down the road, it's going to be different. It's like, no, you, everything in nature is different today from yesterday. And even from this minute to the next minute, it is a constant change. And so being able to see... It's kind of like, okay, so I've been obsessed, like I said, with growing mushrooms and, and I'm also in, uh, obsessed with growing indoor plants. And the thing that I get the most enjoyment out of is taking pictures of them and then a day later or two weeks later coming back and taking another picture and being like, dude, if I wasn't paying attention, I wouldn't have been able to see this huge wow. change. And so being able to kind of look at your life. <laughs> And just like know that, dude, you have gone through changes, and that is inspiring. I like that imagery. So yeah. Good, uh, yeah. So I comparison. Yeah, like I know that. At least I hope that when I meet people from my past, they're going to be like, "Dude, you've changed." It's like, yeah, dude, you need to change too. It's natural. <laughs> Yeah, man. And I do think, I mean, like you said, you know, I see myself every day. Yeah. You know, you walk by that plant every day, but then you compare it to the picture and you're like, God damn, didn't even realize. Gross, dude. Oh, my God. It's good. Oh, man. No, I, again, like, that's where I feel super lucky with being exposed to going outside in nature and like literally getting my face in the mud to look at shit and being able to tap into that imagery and those learn and those lessons provided by nature and applying it to my life has really, really helped me through all this stuff. And that, and like, I think that the cultures in prehistoric times and even present times that like embrace nature as as God or as the unknown is just so cool to me. And I connect with it so much. And I think it just has to deal with that. Like I, I am privileged to be able to have access to this nature and to uh, these lessons that it can provide. Whereas I am fully, I'm fully aware of people who live, in a concrete city, a concrete jungle, their entire life, and they don't have any exposure to this sort of stuff. 
Yeah. Because I know that you've talked a lot about like the issues associated with our food, uh, our food networks and how we are destroying our world just to provide corn to people. And like we need to restructure. And mostly to animals. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. Here's a here's a plug from like if I have a lesson for anybody to save the environment and like the easiest thing to do to make a tangible difference is eat less meat. You don't need to cut it out. Yeah. Like that's, that's very difficult to, uh, to do is just to become a vegetarian or just to become a vegan, but just actively practice eating less meat, whether it's smaller portions or less frequently in the week, however you can wrap your or, head. Yeah, exactly. Like, or I think, for a lot of meat eaters, it can be easier to say, just add one meatless entree a week for now, yeah. right? Like, yeah. just explore the fact that every time you sit down, doesn't have to have meat. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel, and my reasoning behind that, for those who do not know, is that at least specifically in the Midwest regions and it's reaching other regions as well is that agriculture is probably one of the largest impacts on our environment. And it's not because agriculture is bad. It is that our frame of agriculture is inefficient and it is an established inefficient uh, system that needs to be changed. But since it's so established, it's like trying to stop a train. It's just, you can't, put on you can't slam on the brakes and it's going to stop on a dime it's going to take a lot of fucking work to get this thing turned into a going towards a better direction yeah yeah i agree but and it's like go ahead yeah i think it's kind of hard to realize how much we all have a say in what type of world we live in yeah yeah because it seems so far removed from whatever singular choice i might make today sure sure because i'm gonna be right it's like you know the art you know trying to be like well this ground beef's gonna be in the supermarket whether i or not so who the fuck cares yeah. Right. Yeah. Or like just kind of not yeah. quite seeing how much power we actually have because we start to view ourselves as like, well, come on, I can't make a change. So why would I make a change? It's like refraining from doing something personally because you don't have the, the zoomed out enough view to understand what you're actually taking part in. That's yeah so much bigger and that has all those consequences i mean yeah dude especially i'm sure doing so much research with water and and these water ecosystems like no the like the the first lands to go for agriculture that were like the first to be removed like we're talking about uh, the fact that the rainforests are disappearing and the United States is yelling at Brazil being like, dude, you're messing up your natural world. What are you doing? 
And then you look at the United States and like 90% of the natural prairie that stretched from essentially like Indiana over to like all the way over to Wyoming have been erased. <laughs> they yeah, are. dude. It's like, yeah, we're yelling at people in Brazil for ruining the rainforest, which is valid. I, I'm fully supportive of uh, keeping the uh, rainforest intact. But we should also recognize that the United States has fucked up a lot of shit. And we shouldn't. I know that's the hugest like complaint that other cultures have when the United States is trying to cr- criticize folks. It's like, dude, you're so hypocritical. Like, how am I supposed to fucking listen to you when you're not even getting your own shit taken care of? And so I think this brings me back to the power of story. Ooh, I like it. I like the loop. I like it. Right? Yes. Because what do we as Americans believe about ourselves? We're the best fucking nation. We're free as fuck. Yeah. We're rich as fuck. Oh my God. We get we get all of the cheap prices based on labor exploitation from the rest of the world, right? We have the money to buy up all the vaccines if we need them we have the money to go i mean bro i'm sure you've seen this but it's such a classic or i mean heard of this topic of just understanding that the you know i i don't even fuck third world even as a phrase but the non-white western nations are incredibly rich right The world is rich, but like the people are poor because they are being exploited because yeah. the richness is exploited by the West. Yes. Like, and it, yeah, uh, yeah. Like I think like it, the way that I've been looking at this entire, uh, this entire issue of this, the story that we're making up from the, United, like for our culture in the United States is that, Oh, we are perfect. There's no such thing as the uh, like the slave class anymore. It's like, dude, it's everywhere. Yeah. Like the prison system. Like, <clears throat> there are so many people in there that are that don't deserve to be in there. They're like, I feel like the best. Also, I guess I can say my opinion since uh, I, I have that right. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> Uh, is that like the biggest thing, the biggest issue that we can tackle as a country is the uh, the incarceration of people with cannabis charges. They're yeah. like half of the country. It is completely legal in the state. I understand there's complications on the federal level, yeah. but like there's people in prison who are like got caught with the amount of weed that I can like that i typically smoke in a night like it's like they were away for 30 fucking years and we we have the power to uh them out i believe i really think that there's getting because they're essentially being used and abused as a labor force yeah oh man i think that we can i think more uh attention is being drawn to that issue and i think that that will make a huge impact on like it's just it comes all the way like it always comes it seems like the united states the main underlying uh, issue is structural inequality or like 
it is built in our culture and our society and the way that our government is run to suppress and it is ridiculous and i mean yeah and also it's hard to untangle it white supremacy yeah yeah no i think i think those are intertwined very very tightly yeah and like I was going, going back to like the slave workforce and like, I keep trying, I keep wanting to make that, make a connection back to like ancient Egyptian times. Like why did they build the fucking pyramids is because they wanted to show their definition of power and their definition of, uh, like to make their Pharaohs look like gods and prove that they were godlike. And the United States is the same way. We have a workforce that is pumping out different products that we can let the uh, everybody else know in the world. Like, look at us. Look at what we have. But don't look at our workforce, though. <laughs> Regardless of if it's slave labor or that we pay them a minimum wage, don't look at that. <laughs> but look at our big pyramids. Look at our tech industry. Look at our GDP. Look at all this stuff. Yeah, no, well, yeah, look at our economy. Look at the stock market. Yeah. So it's just like, it's exactly the same thing that cultures have been doing a long time. It's just, let's let's abuse the many so that way the few can have luxury and showy products to prove, try and prove to others their superiority. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and not only that, and this is, this kind of blows my mind. It's like, it's like change or like give us this, like convince us that the measuring stick is the GDP. Convince us that that money is inches. And then we, and then we like, we're going to tell you that this ruler measures success and we're the ones who built this whole system of measurement that's not actually rooted in reality right it's like rooted (laughs) so it's like yeah look at look at how well we're doing i designed the measurement system and according to my measurement system we're doing a great job (laughs) yeah yeah man i mean even it's like it wasn't it's just it was so highlighted with the pandemic, right? Oh yeah. It's like yeah. it's like we're like serving the almighty numbers on the fucking ticker. Yeah. I think that that's, that's been my frustration with I mean everybody has frustrations about the pandemic, I know. Um but I think my frustrations are is that these topics were talked about on day 1. Like in like January of 2020, they're like, "Oh man, it's coming." Oh, you know what this means for our healthcare? The most vulnerable are going to be the ones that are going to get shit in the bed. Like, and it, and it seemed like nobody had the power to alter that outcome. And yeah, like, I bet you that people did have the power, but I, I just, from sitting on the couch, you're just exposed to being like, okay, if we knew this, why didn't we? actively try and prevent this or what and then like i guess then you can see or ask the question of 
Like, why are people allowed to make decisions that impact so many people negatively? Like, how? why is that allowed that a few voices can ruin the entire fucking thing? Yeah. That's, that's, that's my two cents on the pandemic. There you go. <laughs> but I do think that <sighs> um, for me, I actually... Uh, quite a while ago, I worked at a medical entomology lab, which mm-hmm. was a mosquito lab, and I got to deal with disease ecology and how diseases spread and the mathematics behind how you prevent uh, a pandemic and how there's systems in place on how to respond to this shit. And then legitimately, like... I'm sorry, I'm going to say his name. Trump like removed that branch or that group of individuals that were there to identify the early signs of a pandemic. He legitimately signed off on them getting removed. And so yeah, it's, it's truly us, wild. Us, us professionals, I, I'm including myself because, you know, I'm, I, I can do that. Hell yeah. <laughs> but the professionals had spent decades designing a blueprint of how to manage and to respond to instances like these. And it's like, yeah, all these researchers are pouring their heart and soul because they believe it's the right thing to do and it will positively impact the human population. But did they ever think that there was going to be one guy in power that had the audacity to be like, this shit's made up? I don't think they saw it coming. I don't think they saw it coming. I mean, yeah, right? Yeah. And I mean, I can state that based on what I'm seeing with the uh, pandemic, it is not a conspiracy, man. I I can't believe you how many people I have to convince that this shit happens naturally, that like viruses happen and like it has been identified as like the next big hurdle for humankind is that we're so densely packed together that that is the functionality of disease in in the natural world is to keep populations in check yeah right we we as humans are developing vaccines and medicine to push us beyond that limit but we will every single day of our lives be pushing that boundary yeah and for us, COVID was one huge blow to the wall that we made up with modern medicine. It's just, yeah, this is new shit. Vaccines uh, mutate faster than we can keep up with. That is and what they're good at. I will say, you know, not only do we, you know, now, you know, like you were saying, live in such a way that it's like, you know, the perfect breeding ground for viruses to check our crazy population Mm -hmm. but also back to animal agriculture we also have millions of breeding grounds where these viruses get to train yes yes and we're and and they get to develop immunity to antibiotics Uh and they get to be in the most fertile wet disgusting dirty animal ridden places which is which is like fucking virus land you know Exactly, exactly. And like, I have met a lot of farmers, and I know that a lot of them are trained. 
how to properly administer antibiotics. But in overall, uh, we are over-diagnosing and over-applying uh, antibiotics to populations. So that way, it's just increasing uh, the likelihood of these viruses and bacteria to be, I mean, I guess with the caveat, antibiotics don't impact viruses, but the diseases that are brought sure, on sure. by bacteria, um, yeah, antibi like antibiotic resistance is huge because it only takes a few generations of bacteria to be able to literally swap DNA with each other and be able to share that trait. Like if we were to share traits, like if we were to breed human beings and be like, hey, this girl is tall and this boy is strong, we're going to make a tall, strong person. Like, so you need two of those individuals to have a child and to raise or to become uh, a, an adult. Like bacteria are just like, dude, you got all the goods to uh, be anti, uh, uh, to be resistant to antibacterial. Oh, here, here's the genetic code. I'll share it with you. And then that bacteria can walk away and share it with others. Like they're able to s literally swap DNA in ways that we as animals. Yeah. This is that. Just. Yeah. Like the science has been there for decades. Just that there are individuals in power that are able to convince others to ignore it. <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah, dude. And it's like, um, why would anyone ever be trying to tell us to ignore it? Why? Why? Oh, oh for the benefit of big pharma? Is that what you're yeah, saying? For profit, baby. <laughs> Oh, man, I wish, uh, I wish, well, I mean, it must be a new template. I don't think anybody else has done that before. <laughs> Shit. But yeah, no, it, it is frustrating. <laughs> and that's another thing, too, I guess if I'm on my little soapbox as frustrations of an environmentalist or a biologist is that uh, I thought that when I got out of school and I got a degree and multiple degrees, my opinion would be louder than others. Mm. And that is not the case. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm sorry, Joe from YouTube. Uh, you know more about climate change than I do. Yeah, you're right. I, I apologize. <laughs> hey, you don't know Joe's credentials. <sighs> that's right. That's right. I mean, I asked him and uh, <laughs> that's true. That, I guess that is true. But uh, I mean, it's something that yeah. he came from a different background based off of his academic beliefs. But, but yes, that just that uh, mentality of that my opinion can just as easily be shut down as anybody else's. It feels like I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe I'm using my credentials wrong. But I don't know. Yeah. Huh. I don't know, man. I, oh, I can keep I uh, I told you that I could stay on till a certain time, but I've pushed that obligation back. Um, I don't know if you like your episodes long or if you want to split it and we can keep talking or whatever. But um, I would love to. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. 
I guess the only thing is I that just seems like a perfect opportunity for me to just run to go pee real quick. All right. Um, and so, yeah, and then we can have this. Um, so we'll just pause it here, and then we'll just start another one. Boom. Um, so, yeah, I'll just call you again in like two minutes. Perfect. Or if, if you have a 10-minute pee, that's fine, too. Okay, right on. <laughs> BRB. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you stay tuned for the part two. I come back after a nice urination and we get even deeper into life's topics. So that's all I really have to say about that. Thanks for being here. Check in on the flip side. Never stop learning. We're going to close it with an outro. Let's go. I know a lot of times it's really frightening when we find that we're not in a position that makes us feel happy. And so it can feel panic in our hearts and minds and fear that if we take a leap and take a step towards different shit that it means that we could possibly fall flat. We could possibly end up back in our parents' basements. Fuck that. Maybe I should stay at the bum-ass job that I hate. Maybe I should never even date. Maybe I should never even try. Oh well, come on, let's go get high. Oh well, this is my fucking life. Fuck me. Maybe I should have tried when I was 14 or 16 or 18 or 23. Just look at me. We are more powerful. Age doesn't even exist for me. Cause I know that I'm not behind. I'm learning to find my flow. So let's take it slow. Let's do it right. Let's take our time. Let's not have fear, but let's notice fear and let's not adhere to the old bounds that fear makes that caution tape we step through make no mistake it's not easy bro but i got your back and you got mine now let's fucking go let's fucking go <laughs> let's fucking go dude <laughs> you ready <laughs>